You've heard me talk about my preferred fish oil brand, Vital Nutrients, offering a line of 11 ultra-pure omega-3 solutions. Well, I'm happy to report that they also offer a great line of premium quality, clinically relevant, professional-grade products which help support optimal immune function, including quercetin, NAC, Viracon, and Aller-C. Quercetin supports healthy sinus and respiratory function. NAC delivers antioxidant support. Viracon is a unique herbal formula for comprehensive immune system support. And Aller-C provides respiratory histamine and sinus support. I'm so impressed with these products that I took them with me on my recent trip to Iceland. For more information and to order, go to vitalnutrients.co. That's vitalnutrients.co. Vital Nutrients products are formulated by healthcare professionals utilizing peer-reviewed research, bioavailable and bioactive ingredients in therapeutic doses. I take them and use them in my practice. Just go to vitalnutrients.co and check them out. Welcome back to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. We're talking about digital madness. That's a new book. My today's guest, Dr. Nicholas Carderis. Uh, he's a psychologist and an addiction specialist. Uh, the subtitle of Digital Madness is How Social Media is Driving Our Mental Health Crisis and How to Restore Our Sanity. And uh, he details uh, all the ravages of social media on our mental health. We talked about that in part one. Uh, in part two, uh, we want to go a little deeper on the subject, but we also want to talk uh, solutions. So um, how do you approach uh, digital media addiction with your clients? Well, like any other addiction, you do have to go through an inevitable period of detoxification, depending on how severe the problem is. And so, again, similarly to uh, alcohol issues, one has doesn't have alcoholism, they can manage mo moderating their drinking, then moderating is great. But for certain people that have crossed sort of a tipping point and have crossed that line of really a self-destructive, compulsive, addictive behavior, whether it's with gaming platforms or social media, um, we do need to do an inevitable uh, detox period, usually of about six weeks, because not only are they dopaminergic in the sense that they spike dopamine and the person becomes very uh, chasing that dopamine rush that they get from whatever their digital drug of choice is. And again, I've worked with everybody, everything from um, Reddit compulsions to the obvious gaming ones, but to even things like Netflix compulsions where people were really literally couldn't stop streaming Netflix for 14 hours a day. Mm -hmm. um, I kind of did so, that with the uh, new episodes of uh, Yellowstone, I must confess. Yeah. And, that, was, uh, that was our person. Yeah. yeah. Breaking, I like those breaking Bad kind of did much. it for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah and, and, and of course, especially during COVID when my God, you know, there was yeah. nothing to do and people were quarantining and isolating that. That was talk about a perfect storm, right? Mm -hmm. That was, um, so that was unhealthy for a lot of people, but we're talking to the degree where people really lose functionality in their lives, uh, where they can no longer work or, or interact with family and really get into a severe dark place. And typically it's associated with a lot of depression because if you're going to get stuck in that deep, dark rabbit hole, there's a lot of depression that uh, goes with that. Um, and, and so one of the things that we haven't talked about, depending on the age that a person becomes habituated to devices, um, they can get primed for impulsivity lifelong. Yes. Um, 
So, so the, but, by the way, let me the, just stop you right there because yeah. I think that's that's one of the key sure. elements to this is we now have a, an, an epidemic, we call it a pandemic of, of attention deficit disorder. We also have, we see a lot of impulsivity in people's actions, you know, the way yeah. that people uh, treat each other, the crime wave, uh, the violence, uh, the political discourse. Uh, there, there seems to be an absence of something that kind of a boring concept, patience. Yeah. Patience, uh, delayed gratification, yeah. um, uh, pushing pushing the proverbial pause button before people act has really gone by the wayside. And there's really clear research. And the person that did most of this research was Dr. Christakis at the University of Washington. And he was also the editor of the um, JAMA Journal of Pediatrics. Um, he did all the research on... ADHD effects and screen time. And this is going back to television in the 90s. You know, mm -hmm. they found that if you're going to put a developing infant from ages two to six in front of a TV set for every hour of television viewing, it was, it was going to increase their likelihood to get ADHD by 10%. Mm. They did the same research with iPads and interactive technologies in back, uh, two, 2010, and the effect was multifold um, because of the, again, the hyper-stimulating immersive impact of it because essentially what we're doing is we're habituating children to high octane stimulation and and they get used to that stimulation and then absent the stimulation they can't focus mm -hmm. and so a kid gets so used to the bells and whistles of his his or her device that they can't sit still in the classroom or they can't sit still and look at nature because they're used to high octane <laughs> um stimulation mm -hmm. and, and and that becomes according to some of the brain imaging research hardwired because yes. they, we've actually this is the part that i think a lot of people were shocked by when you look at brain imaging effects of uh, excessive screen time you see prefrontal cortex effects yes. executive functioning effects where you have uh less dgm dense gray matter um you, you have an atrophy a, a physically atrophying mm -hmm. effect of the part of the brain that allows you to not be impulsive mm -hmm. to consequentially think to say well I may have an impulse to knock this desk over or to punch my boss in the face, but I'm going to think this through. Well, that part of the brain gets compromised by excessive screen time and, and chronic drug use, by the way. So, so it's exactly what you said. So now we've created a, a generation of, of highly impulsive people. We've, we've made them highly reactive because all we feed them now is emotional emotionally provocative content on social media. We've made them highly impulsive because the medium itself makes them very instant gratification oriented. And now we've, and now we've stuck them into a world context of doom scrolling, um, type of phenomenon. And so no wonder, um, some of these younger folks are not well psychiatrically. And, and we talk about one in four millennials because uh, we're talking about now also not only a depression epidemic, but a loneliness epidemic. And so the most plugged in. So when you look at rates of loneliness, when you go down from baby boomer to Gen X to millennial to Gen Z, uh, each increasingly younger cohort is reporting higher and higher rates of loneliness. And and that shouldn't have been because we all were sold. The promise of technology was bring us connectivity. That, yeah. Well, it was going to bring us together. It was going to be social connection. It was going to be like chocolate and peanut butter. It was going to be this wonderful combination. And yet we've seen the most plugged in generation is the loneliest generation. And in, in a recent study, and, you know, this is, I think, for dramatic emphasis, uh, they found that uh, as a risk factor uh, for dying, uh, 
uh, that loneliness uh, exceeded smoking in terms statistically in terms of increasing the mm. risk of premature death. <laughs> so, so not wow. a good sign. I knew loneliness wasn't a good thing, but I didn't realize it was quite. That, yeah, that, that's it, a pretty shocking statistic. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, you could there you can manipulate statistics, but this is according to a recent analysis. Uh, okay, so Facebook, you know, faced with some challenges from uh, other competitors, you know, TikTok and you know other venues, uh, it, it has rebranded. They're now Meta, and they're placing big <laughs> bets on virtual reality and something called the Metaverse. So, what's your take on on that? That's going to amp things up even more. Right, and, and I write about that extensively in uh, the new book, and I'm I'm very glad that Mark Zuckerberg's bet is so far tanking. I'm very glad they've lost seven hundred billion in uh, cap valuation. Um, yeah, it, it's to me it's very insidious. It, it's it's out of a bad science fiction movie. It's essentially the Matrix. It's it's immersive reality blurring uh, technology. Now, and and in in my book Digital Madness, I do a whole psychological profiling of Mark Zuckerberg and. You know, he's obsessed with Augustus Caesar and, and there's really quite a bit of egocentric narcissism with some of these tech titans. And I think I, I think you, the, you the had that were, chapter, uh, Revenge of the Tech Nerds. I think that's what you yeah, call Revenge it. of the Nerds. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We, we were, I think, asleep at the switch at how, um, well, from, on a strictly business level, these were more ruthless people than than Gordon Gecko, Wall Street. Um, mm -hmm. They were ruthless, but they looked like the Geek Squad, and so people were somewhat not threatened by, you know, look at Bill Gates and you know the the, the rock star of the crew was Steve Jobs at the time. But this was a fairly innocuous looking group. They didn't look like J D Rockefeller, who looked like he was a. Uh, 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 like that stern, you know, chiseled visage, you know, he looked like he a, a ruthless guy. Right. He looked like a ruthless guy. And and when you think about J.D. Rockefeller, who used to be the wealthiest man in the world, he controlled one commodity. He controlled standard oil. Or oil. And when you think about what these five tech oligarchs control, they're not only the wealthiest people on the, who have ever lived, but they're the most powerful in the sense that they control they're the gatekeepers of information. Mm -hmm. And so they control what we see, how we think, how we function in, in the world. And so creating a metaverse then that we inhabit is profoundly troubling to me because it's a universe that Mark Zuckerberg wants us all to inhabit that he would control. Mm -hmm. And, and the libertarian in me does, doesn't want, I, I don't want, I don't want my reality filtered. I'd like it straight up, please. No mm -hmm. ice uh, <laughs> without. My metal lenses on, and and because we've seen that they've not been good stewards of our information, our 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 of us at all. That we've seen that we've just been monetized. So so to trust big tech implicitly with uh, our reality. Uh, I, I was at a conference. I, I write about this in the new book where I was at uh, the Commonwealth Club in San Francisco speaking at a conference, and there was a. Present the the conference was humanities at a crossroad, and there was all these different scientists with all sorts of horrific, you know, everything from, uh, you know, everything from uh, endocrine disruptors and and radiation effects, and and how we were all going to not be in a very good place thirty years from now. But one of the presenters from Austria presented a slide at this conference that initially made people laugh, but then was pretty spine chilling. Um, it was a picture of a, of a real cow. Where the virtual reality headset on, mm -hmm. 
<laughs> and, and it was comical initially, exactly. I had a short reaction. I laughed when I first saw it. And then he explained to us that they were experimenting putting cows, cows who were in, in small stalls. They were having, I can see where were, this is going. Blurring yeah. the reality. Yeah. Yeah, they, because they found that a cow that thought that it was free range would produce more milk. Wow. And so cows who were deluded into thinking that they were free when they were actually in this enclosed pen were more productive. And, and, and I could see where that was going. So to me, that was like a perfect metaphor mm. for, um, because there's, there's a historical precedent for sedating the masses. You know, Marx talked about the, you know, religion is the opiate of the masses. But as an addiction psychologist, one of the things we had learned was that in American slavery, uh, plantation owners used to give black male slaves a bottle of moonshine every Saturday. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't because it was a reward for a hard work week. It was the idea that if you're sedated or drunk, mm-hmm. if you're on SOMA, alcoholic, digital, or otherwise, you're not going to rebel or organize or educate yourself. You're going to be stuck and trapped. And, and to me, that's the more nefarious part of this is that I think the more we stay glued to Candy Crush and our devices and the more monetized we become, uh, and the less we're able to advocate for our own freedom and our own free will, our own thought processes and less manipulation by algorithms. Absolutely. Okay, at this point, uh, let's pause and allow one of our sponsors an opportunity to share an important message with you. This episode of Intelligent Medicine is brought to you by Propax Gold with NT Factor, a complete vitamin and mineral formula. NT Factor is the only nutritional formula clinically proven to reduce fatigue, whatever the cause, age, illness, or just being run down. NT Factor repairs damaged cells and restores healthy bacteria in your digestive tract. Clinical trials have shown NT Factor reduces fatigue by almost half and it even reverses some symptoms of aging. I've been taking NT Factor for years. With a 45-day money-back guarantee, you have nothing to lose. To order, call 800-982-9158, 800-982-9158, or go to ntfactor.com. That's ntfactor.com. Thanks for listening. And now back to today's guest, Dr. Nicholas Carderis. Uh, so uh, what are uh, some possible solutions? You know, uh, you actually, there's a great emphasis in your book on uh, individuation uh, and uh, kind of taking a philosophical approach to this. Uh, you know, your family background is Greek. Maybe that's why you've turned to the classic mm-hmm. philosophers of the uh, ancient philosophers mm-hmm. for a moral compass that maybe we've, we've lost well, there, there are two main swords that I think the ancient philosophers used that would be helpful weapons or tools against this modern digital age. Um, and one of one sword is the sort of critical thinking, learning how to be able to sort through information. And you know, I'm 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 frustrated no end. I, I have to. You know, I'm not going to betray my political, but. Um, this notion of misinformation and disinformation is mm-hmm. extremely Orwellian in my mind, mm-hmm. because historically in our society, we trusted the individual to be able to sort through the nonsense from mm-hmm. the sensical. Um, there had always been the National Enquirer. Nobody ever tried to deplatform the National <laughs> Enquirer. We all, we all knew that it was nonsense. Yeah. But you trusted people to be able to, to read it. You didn't try to censor it. Mm-hmm. And and now sort of, sort of, sort of, there's a sort of, um, infant, infantilization of our society that, that sort of gatekeepers have to control 
what we see, what we can discuss, because it might be misinformation or dangerous, is troubling because, again, the big tech gatekeepers have not proven to be good stewards of of the information. And so a metaphor that I like is the ocean's always going to be turbulent. We're not going to change the ocean. We're not changing the larger society, but can we become better swimmers to swim through and navigate mm-hmm. through rough waters? And I think we're in extremely turbulent waters right now. And so ancient Greek philosophy teaches the individual how to critically think, how to use their sense of reason. And and secondarily, in, in this, the other tool in that toolbox is ethical discernment. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a lot of powerful people with, you know, I write about their God complex, what I think they, they have God complexes in the book. And, and a lot of scientists have God complexes because it's the Frank, Dr. Frankenstein syndrome, mm-hmm. right? And the obsession to create life, you you may not realize that things might go sideways. Well, they, you know, that in people fact, that's a, an allegory yeah. about the about runaway technology. And it was written, I think, mm-hmm. in the 1830s. But it was at the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. And it envisioned, you know, science ungated, unguided by morality uh, could result yeah. in monstrous consequences. That's the beauty of that classic book. Well, that's and it's so predictive of what's happened, whether it's experiments in gain and function research or creating micro black holes at the CERN super collider. And I, I talk about the CERN super collider. Um, they're experimenting with trying to create micro black holes. And, and I quote the one scientist there. They were asking him, can't this research get, can it lose containment? And, you know, perhaps can't the micro black hole become a macro black hole and swallow up this part of the universe? And the lead researcher actually said, we don't think that'll happen. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> he didn't seem too convinced, by the way. He right, did, he right. Did that. But he was so obsessed with, you know, this was his, yeah. you know, Captain Ahab white whale. You know, he had to find, you know, and that's a lot of scientists are so often myopic. They need to find their whatever their particular quest is, whether it's viral research or quantum physics research or, or AI research, that they don't use and there are certain ethical guidelines they're they're stated and 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 if people had that as part of their formal education or at least having sort of a you know like when you do research at any university you have an ethics board that says is this research ethical and is it especially if you're using human subjects well that part is currently missing in a lot of the big tech universe um it's it's and so if they're not going to do that, then we have to sort of, as the, on the individual basis, kind of re, re dig in our heels and fortify ourselves with some of that ancient wisdom, mm-hmm. uh, because I think it's necessary now more than ever. And and so, uh, you don't believe that regulation is the answer, or is it? There there actually is. Uh, you make reference to something called the Kids Online Safety Act. Uh, which is uh, bipartisan legislation that's being sponsored uh, mm-hmm. by a couple of folks in Congress. Um, what's that about? And, and what might what benefit might that offer to our digital landscape? Well, I, I do think regulation can be part of the solution. I'm not in favor of censorship per se because that's the slippery slope. I, you know, I'm not a believer in that uh, a governmental. Uh, disinformation uh, board should be deciding the content because that is a slippery slope. But the the act that you mentioned, the Online Safety Act, which was uh, 
Senator Blumenthal in Connecticut and um, uh, Senator uh, yeah. Marsha Blackburn in from Tennessee. Yeah. What I thought was really powerful about and smart about what they're doing is they're looking to defang the most toxic part of it, which, which again, because censoring of content can be troubling, but what makes it really unhealthy is the algorithm which is really seeking out the vulnerable person. So mm-hmm. it basically allows people to opt out of algorithms. Mm-hmm. You would have to seek out the content yourself. Mm-hmm. So you'd have to search for a particular article. So it would stop that feedback loop. It would stop the echo chamber effect. Um, so you would just be a person that needed to search something on Google mm-hmm. other than Google letting you know, giving you a, a, a feed of what it thinks you want. Mm-hmm. So it's essentially it's an opt out of algorithms. Um, which I think would be fantastic if we could do that because, you know, how many of us have uh, looked up some random thing uh, at any given time and then for the next three days, everything we see on our digital world is related to that one thing. Right. That we Hell, I'll, I'll have a conversation about Spain and then I'll see like offers from yeah. uh, Iberian Airlines. <laughs> yeah. just, I, I guess it, they pick it up through the speakers. Uh, that's, and, and that's very insidious. That people don't realize that, 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 that in cities where your conversation gets it, then exactly, it's very big brother. It's, it's and, and so again, you know, as a kid who got raised on reading 1984 and big brother, you know, it, it, it does sort of give us adequate caution about what we need to be looking out for. And because otherwise, I think we're going to candy crush ourselves into just sedated oblivion and and the control of our tech oligarchs. And then again, not to sound overly dramatic or conspiratorial about it, but we're, we're almost there. We're almost at that point where we've ceded so much of our lives to the information gatekeepers that it's... Um, so, so I do think the solution is partially legislative. I do think that um, antitrust laws can be enacted, and the, there's um, Alina Khan, who uh, is the antitrust guru, who was at Yale, and she wrote. Uh, she's she writes really well about how antitrust laws have evolved over the last few decades, They've, and they no longer regulate industries as much as they do provide ostensibly consumer protection, and and. What, what that means is, as long as Amazon is giving you the consumer a better price, they didn't care that Amazon was gobbling up over 200 company, co- competing companies in a, in a very monopolistic way. And that's, that's a shifted philosophy. That didn't used to be the case four or five decades ago. Four or five mm-hmm. decades ago, Amazon wouldn't have been allowed to eat up its competition. Um, and, and in the, in this newer version, and so people are re-exploring antitrust laws to see and the other the other legislation that would be very helpful is repealing section 230 of the communications decency act which essentially gives yeah, they talk about that a lot can you explain for, yeah please yeah. thank you yeah it's it's an older it's an older um statute it's from this 1970s but it's essentially it essentially views social media platforms and big tech as not publishers of content but as the way to think of it is, is they're almost a, a message board. They're like mm-hmm. a common message board that people post content on. So they're not responsible for the content because, you know, we're just a cork board at the local supermarket. Mm-hmm. And if somebody's going to post a message on it, we're not responsible for the people posting the message. So you can't sue me for being the cork board that somebody puts a message on. Mm-hmm. And And what we're seeing is that that's entirely inaccurate. They are acting as publishers because they do edit content, they do censor material, they do 
um, act very much as publishers would. So, so they shouldn't benefit from this law, which essentially doesn't allow anybody to sue them for anything that can be problematic content. So they have protection from litigation. Um, and, and that shouldn't be because, for example, right now we have the, the case of the 14 year old British girl in Great, uh, in Great Britain, um, who for the first time, the coroner's report said that social media was a significant mm. contributing factor to this girl's suicide. That's a milestone. And, and the point that's really important to realize, this 14-year-old girl wasn't just a depressed girl who was putting on some sad music and became sadder. This is a depressed girl who was targeted, predatorily targeted by, she was getting all, she was getting content from 10 Ways to Kill Yourself, um, you know, suicide options, um, content that was so harmful to somebody that was on the cusp of mm-hmm. wanting to hurt themselves. And, and so the coroner said, no, they, they, there's, and because it was part of his report, it now is setting a legal precedent that now there's some culpability for the social media platform that was sending her that content that eventually led to her suicide. And so now they can be sued for that. Wow, that's a real milestone. Uh, okay, well, we've covered an enormous number of issues related to uh, our uh, digital obsessions. Uh, the book is entitled Digital Madness, How Social Media is Driving Our Mental Health Crisis and How to Restore Our Sanity. So, you know, mental health is a big topic here on Intelligent Medicine. You know, we talk about, uh, you know, the, the, the efficacy or lack thereof of, of certain drugs being used for mental health problems. We talk about uh, the impact of diet, nutrition, and exercise. And we talk about uh, natural supplements that can promote uh, mental wellness. But uh, these things uh, can barely make a dent against our current pandemic of mental disorders uh, if we don't fix the environment. And the environment is uh, heavily weighted towards digital distraction and digital entrapment. And, uh, mm. you know, it, it's all about immersion, you know, the immersive effects of social media, which are getting more and more. And, you know, if we get to the metaverse, well, that's a whole different ballgame. So thank you for pointing out um, uh, some of the down the downsides of that. And you being Greek, uh, I'll, I'll use the analogy, you're sort of a, the Cassandra of uh, the uh, <laughs> of the digital madness uh, uh, situation here, you know, calling out the dangers uh, to the public in this book. So it's a it's a worthy successor to uh, Glow Kids. And um, thanks for your Thank efforts you. uh, on also on an individual level. And can you give out information about uh, your website? And, and you also have a practice. So, you know, people listening, uh, they or a loved one are suffering from digital addiction. What are some of the resources that are available? And do you uh, uh, see patients via, you know, in person or via telemedicine? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I do have a website. It's, it's drcardaris.com, K-A-R-D-A-R-A-S. Simple Greek name, not not Cassandra, it's but it's phonetic, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> right, right. Um, I I'm the uh, founder and chief clinical officer of a um, young adult treatment residential treatment program in Austin, Texas, called Omega Recovery, mm-hmm. and we treat everything from mental health issues to substance abuse to digital. In fact, we're one of only two or three programs in the country that specializes in treating social media gaming addiction. A lot of our especially a lot of our young male clients have the trifecta. They'll have mm-hmm. 
they failure to launch, they flunk out of college because they're in the dorm rooms gaming all day, they've become depressed, they're smoking too much pot. And so there's there's a dual diagnosis component there and um and a lot of our young women have personality disorders like borderline personality disorder and are not functioning well in the in the world and it's inflamed by their social media. So our treatment program unplugs people for it's an eight week program where they unplug for six weeks and then we we teach them how to manage mindful uh, technology usage after they've uh, detoxed. So that's Omega Recovery. And I also have a, a, a adult rehab in uh, Maui, Hawaii called Maui Recovery. And uh, and that's also similarly, but it's a little bit of a different program for adults. The one that really specifically focuses on what we've just talked about is Omega Recovery in uh, Austin, Texas. And, um, and yeah. And otherwise, I try to write as much as I can to uh, raise awareness about this growing problem. Okay, the book is Digital Madness, and also look for the uh, excellent op-ed where uh, the Paul Pelosi attack and uh, other acts of violence uh, are ascribed to uh, the polarization, the kind of binary thinking that is fostered by uh, our current digital environment. And, you know, certainly that's a plausible argument. So it's a it's a call for action that we need to do something about it. So thanks for your great work. And we appreciate you coming on once again. And thank you. Thank you for the work that you're doing to raise awareness and for everything that you're doing. It's, it's really, really admirable. Thank you. Trying to get the word out. That's Dr. Mm-hmm. Nicholas Carderas. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast. As an Intelligent Medicine listener, you know how important it is to ensure that your supplements are genuine, safe, and effective. But vetting your sources and tracking down the exact products you need can be a hassle. That's why I'm inviting you to browse my online supplement dispensary at drhoffmanstore.com. We stock only the highest quality supplements, some of which are very hard to find elsewhere. The very same supplements I prescribe to my patients and take myself. My specially curated professional-grade supplements are fulfilled via the Fullscript network. Fullscript is the safest and most convenient way to purchase my medical-grade supplements. Buying through Fullscript offers fast shipping, optional refill reminders, a mobile-friendly site. It's safe, secure, and HIPAA-compliant and offers world-class support. Just go to drhoffmanstore.com to sign up for your free Fullscript account. You'll also receive free shipping on all of your store orders. That's drhoffmanstore.com. drhoffmanstore.com.